Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome to the Two Guys in a Mic Show, TalkZone.com. Coach of the Big Dog with you right up until 11 o'clock, recapping the three-day weekend of uh, sports action. Plenty of uh, sports to talk about, no question about it. College football first and foremost. we got the NFL opening weekend coming up. I think the opening game might be actually on Wednesday. Baseball races heating up. It is September. We have rounded the bend on the stretch run. We are now down the back stretch. They come. Here come the Oakland A's out of the turn. We'll talk a little of the baseball races, too, here in Chicago. The White Sox get swept by the Detroit Tigers. Not so good. But to all that and more, we got the Democratic National Convention to talk about and, sadly, a couple of obituaries to add in there, too. Play a little bit of music, and we'll kick off this Tuesday post-Labor Day edition of the Two Guys at a Mic show in just about eight seconds. So I got to tell you, Big Dog, it was awfully good uh, Friday night catching a little bit of, uh, you know, collegiate football, Michigan State, the Fighting Spartans, Saturday, a full slate of games, Dublin, Ireland, 8 o'clock in the morning. What better than Notre Dame and Navy, a little Alabama and Michigan. And uh, as predicted, as predicted, I did watch the Sunday morning game, the, the Governor's Cup, Kentucky and Louisville, a full slate of college football. We'll talk about all that and more. Our college football expert, our sports expert, our man about town. My good partner, the big dog, Joel Redwanski, joining me on the other side of the line. Big dog, how are you, my friend? Well, uh, I've burned both candles at both ends. I've done like nine tours in the last three days. I have no dun, voice. Dun, oh, and by the dun, way, dun, dun, by the way, Labor Day parties were, were pretty good. So a little bit of work and a little bit of partying. I would say I a like that. lot of work. I like that. A lot of people have no candles to burn, Big Dog. So even though you're uh, the voice and the body is shot, at least you're burning a couple of candles. You are living life to its fullest, young man. I would have to say, yeah, that would definitely be a way to describe it, Coach. Yeah. By the way, I said young man. Young man. Do, 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 do. When is your, I know you have a 40th birthday. Would that be today, possibly? No, it's on Thursday. Woohoo! David Olson continues to be incredibly secretive about the big celebration, almost to the point where, like, where he's not planning anything. But uh, Thursday, you turn 40 years old. Yeah, and that was wow. all I want for my 40th birthday is to be able to do two tours instead of one tour on that day. That's not asking too much. No, no it's, not, it's not at all. Any of our listeners just tuning in, the, the tour that the big dog's talking about is gives a kayak, not architectural, but historical tours of the city of Chicago via the Chicago River. That's the the tour, not not college football tours, unfortunately. I can give those also, though. Yeah, you could probably do like a virtual reality college football tour. That would not be a bad gig for you, Big Dumb. You'd be surprised, Coach. Travel yeah, travel around to the different stadiums. But, uh, well, yeah, the voice sounds fine, and we'll see if it holds out. For the entire hour, and again, I'm glad you 
were able to burn both candles. Did your uh, now the, yesterday during your Labor Day party, there really was no collegiate football on, was there? Uh, no, there was not, Coach. So that was at least I didn't get to miss people running into each other at full speed. Yeah. So you uh, watched hardly at all over the weekend. No, Saturday they canceled everything. Ah. So uh, I I watched football from eleven to eleven. Beautiful. Saturday. At East Bank Club, and people were like, are you ever going to go home? I'm like, I don't have the television. <laughs> we started laughing. They're like, you're probably the only member that doesn't own a television. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is not it's not exactly a homeless shelter, is it? No, that is exactly. <laughs> so it was uh, a, a little strange. So I don't, they know that I stayed at my girlfriend's house. She doesn't have television. Uh-huh. So a little weird. Right. A little odd. Yeah, we got lots of college football to talk about. By the way, on the Beat the Schmoes game, David Olson, if you're able to find a site that has all the scores from Saturday because I, I don't know if Big Dog is up, but I still I can't give the official results. There's still a few games in question, but uh, Big Dog, both you and me, uh, stunk it up to start the uh, opening weekend. Uh, I know I, and again, beat the Schmoes, our football prediction game. We play each and every Friday in the football Friday. I was very excited about the beginning of the year. Made some predictions. Thought I, 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 an emphasis of mine, Big Dog, last year was to get off to a good start. And right off the bat, I get slumped up. I know I lost. I had Georgia minus 37 and a half. That didn't happen. I had Penn State. I went with the sentiment. I went with my heart. That failed. I was 0-2. I had Arizona giving up 10 against Toledo. Any idea what happened there, Doug? I'm not exactly sure. That was like a 10 o'clock at night game. All right, so we'll see. If and... What was the final? Uh, 24-17 Arizona. Wow. 0-3 to open up the weekend for the coach. How about that? You uh, screwed up on Auburn, Big Dog. You also had Michigan plus 14. That didn't work out too well. Colorado State plus 7. Did, please tell me Big they Dog won. did not over with me. Colorado State beat Colorado. All right. So you went 1 and 2. Yeah, I went 1 and 2. That way to start. <laughs> David Olson, you had uh, Illinois. Wait, Illinois. Yeah, you took Illinois plus 10, minus 10. So you won that one. He had Ohio State. Did Ohio State cover? Barely. They won 56-10. Okay. And then he had Arkansas State plus 37 against Oregon. That's sure. I have, no what, I have no idea what happened in right. that game. I right. watched the first, uh, I watched the first couple minutes in Oregon. Uh, their helmets look like the Green Hornet. What, what was, what was the spread on that one, coach? You, I think you had Arkansas State plus 37. Yeah, I went uh, 3-0. Woo! D. Olson, big dog. 3-0, picking up where he left off last year. Unbelievable. 3-0, the, the the big dog is speechless. But be careful. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Be careful, I'm though. Week, Illinois covered. week one can often be, uh, you know, can trip people up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too early to make a trend. I will bounce back, and I, quite frankly, I don't think David Olson can keep up the incredible momentum from the 2011-12 season. Mm. <laughs> All right, what games did you watch, Big Dog? What did you see from the uh, opening Saturday of college football? By the way, any fans out there you want to chime in, feel free to give us a call, 888-463-6748. Again, 888 We open up today's scintillating sports talk with a little college football. What did you see out there, Doug? Uh, I tried to watch as much as I possibly could going station to station to station, but uh, the, the game of the weekend was, without question, two local games, 
was either Iowa, Northern Illinois, which was the second best game of the week, or was Syracuse Northwestern. That Syracuse Northwestern game was as good of a football game as we're <laughs> going to see all season long. And it was yep. week one. It was unbelievable. And by the way, Northwestern had a gift wrap game handed to them. Yeah, I was. No matter what anybody says, that game was handed to them by Syracuse yeah. and by the officials. Well, I'm, I'm I'm surprised you said that because uh, well, number one, Northwestern wins the game 42-41. They had a 35 to 13 midway through the third quarter. David Olson, Northwestern scores again, and they're up 35-13. And a few minutes later, the announcer just kind of very almost. Secondhand says Northwestern fans who saw the team play the last couple of years might not want to leave too early because they gave up some big leads last year. And sure enough, as soon as he said that, and again, 35-13 mid-third quarter. It was a she. It was Tess Mullen that was doing the game. Yes, graduate. you're right. She was good, by the way. She's all right. Yeah, very good. But sure enough, Syracuse starts coming back the Northwestern defense like a sieve. Uh, and Syracuse takes the lead, right, Big Dog? They went up 41-35. Uh, Hasim threw in the second half, during, I should say the second half, in a quarter and a half. He threw for 280 yards and four touchdowns in a quarter and a half. Every game. Good, by the way. That's Almost really every good. game, the Northwestern, you know, the, the quarterback against Northwestern has a record-setting day. That's getting old. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're talking Big East record-setting game, not that Syracuse record setting. The whole conference yeah. was breaking records. Yeah. Our, our, the Northwestern defensive backfield, and again, hopefully it's just game one. They're supposed to be better this year, but they were slipping, they were sliding, they were falling, they were getting faked out on pump fakes. And the quarterback, to his credit, every throw in that comeback, every throw is right on the money. And, and you know what? That quarterback got hit a lot for yep. a guy that had such a huge game. Yep. The secondary really did not play well. Yep. All right, so Syracuse takes the lead again, 35-13. They were down mid-third quarter, but they come back and take the lead. Northwestern drives uh, pretty much the length of the field, but they start to get stalled on a third down and medium distance, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 yards. They throw a sideline out-of-bounds play. Kid That's picked a medium up, distance. That's third and long, Coach, third and 13. And he picked up yardage, and it would have been, what, about fourth and eight? I would say fourth and five. Fourth and five without the penalty. He gets pushed out of bounds. By the, the way, ref- when the contact started, the quarterback was inbound. Wait, say that again? When when uh, Simeon was getting, when the push started, he was still inbounds. It was one of the worst freaking calls I've ever seen. Yeah, the quarterback for Northwestern. But the pushing call was questionable to begin with. So I was going to throw this up here. Because we have this argument all the time. And, you know, to me, that play was the very, very essence of the officiating discussion that I have with my friends so often and you so often, too, of when do you make a call. Now, you're saying it shouldn't have been called at all. I thought... No, no, that was the, the, the push started when Simeon was still in bounds. Yeah, but a lot of times... But a lot of times the push started, but, but did he finish the push too late? Well, that, that, that was a, it, it, he didn't even push him hard. There's no way that's a personal foul penalty, whether it's the fourth quarter with yep. with uh, a minute to go, coach, or if it's the the first quarter with 49 minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, the whole game. 
That is that was not a personal foul. I cannot believe they called that play. Uh, I, I, I might disagree with you a little bit. I thought it was a tweener, and quite frankly, if it would have happened in the first quarter of the game, I would have thought, ah, that's kind of a touch call. But you know what? It was close, and you do got to protect. You know, you're going to set an example early in the game. I'm not saying it would have been a great call. I could have accepted it at that point. But are you kidding me? With fourth down and five and a hard-fought three-hour college football game, you're going to throw the flag on a questionable play like that. That's an official, again, who is not realizing situation down and distant, that kind of stuff you know, Big Dog. It just gnaws at the very innards of my sports core. I'm just always the guy I was. I don't care what the downer situation is. If it's a foul, you call it. If it isn't a foul, you call it. Oh, that's crap. No, no, it's not. It's not crap. Yeah, no, it it's not. Yeah, it is. That, 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 that's the, that's the, I understand where you're coming from, but it's, the essence is people shouldn't be allowed to get away with something just because it's late in the game. Okay, that's that's ridiculous. Otherwise, everybody will commit personal uh, yeah. force, uh, you know, pass interference penalties and be like, hey, it's okay, it's the last play of the game. You know, you get away with stuff. No, it's either you don't commit it or you do commit Not a cheap shot, not, not a, a dirty shot, foul. a little bit of a late push just outside the sidelines. You do not, again, after a three-hour, incredibly hard-fought game, you described it as the best game of the weekend, you do not let one player, okay, he might have been wrong, but it wasn't dirty, it wasn't malicious, the kid didn't get injured, he might have violated maybe a touch. You do not let that one player's silliness interrupt the beauty and the outcome of a collegiate football game or any sporting contest. Okay, if you get the diatribe, I get one too. You do not call that play a personal foul because it wasn't a personal foul. That's my personal take on it. Okay, which is a different one. At any rate, Northwestern came back. How about the pass to win it, though? That was unbelievable. With a backup quarterback in the game. Well, he's the passer, and that uh, that throw is as good of a throw as, like, Drew Brees and Tom Brady were like, dang, did you see that throw? I mean, it was perfect. <laughs> Dropped it in right over the defender, right into into the receiver's hand. And, and and by the way, you know, we're talking about how great of a game and all this other stuff is. Two things we haven't brought up in this game. Well, obviously, because that was, I'm glad you brought up the pass because Simeon just dropped it in. That was perfect. Yep. The narc mark, that narc mark, the return man slash uh, uh, starting uh, tailback for Northwestern is incredible. He's got to be one of the top 20 players in college football this season, maybe even more. And, uh, the thing that cracked me up was the gift touchdown that Syracuse gave Northwestern. They throw a lateral, and I'm at East Bank Club, and literally I yell, live ball, run. And there's like 20 people looking at me while like, oh, you're an idiot. While 22 people on a football field are just standing there, including the guy with the ball. Yep. Well, one guy at Northwestern comes running up and pushes the guy with the ball in the back and yells, go. And all of a sudden they take off. They score a touchdown. That was about as that was as gift of a seven point yeah. as any team has ever received playing college football. Yeah, my my comment on that first of all is the nineteen other people watching with you at the East Bank Club are a bunch of football idiots. Uh, absolutely inexcusable for the players on both Syracuse and Northwest. I mean that's junior high stuff. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, come on, you, you need to know by the time you're in Division One college football on a questionable backwards pass, that ball, you play it like it's live. And I could, you know, I, I could understand one or two guys maybe miss, but everybody, everybody stood around absolutely inexcusable. Mm-hmm. And I want the names of every one of those 19 guys that were uh, beveraging with you at the East Bank Club. 
the thing that cracked me is the only one guy in the the guy with the football. He had no clue. How many times you see a guy pick a ball up and run fifty yards when everyone in the stadium, including the guy with the ball, knows the whistle's been blown and there's yep. no touchdown. Yep. Yet there's no whistle blown. Referees are moving to get into position. That's the first thing you got to notice, coach. Yep. The only people moving are the referees. Oh, oh, it's live. You know that's. <laughs> Uh, that just cracks me up that somebody can have a football in their hand yeah. on a football field and stop and look around and turn around and still score a touchdown on the play. Yeah, that will be addressed, and it should have been a long time ago, but that will definitively be addressed in the film room, Big Doug. No question. Okay, obviously the Syracuse players, especially the one that didn't jump on the ball when it was live, yep. should be reprimanded and harshly criticized by their coach. Yep. I would, if I was the coach of Northwest, if I was Pat Fitzgerald, there'd be ten of my players that were getting a foot in their butt for stopping the play, including the guy who scored the touchdown. Yes, I'd be like, there was no whistle blowing. Why did you guys stop? Yes, we scored a touchdown, and then the one guy who came running in and shoved the guy in the back. Yeah, I'd be like, you don't get, you don't get criticized. You can sit down and watch your teammates do sprints for the next ten minutes. Yeah, absolutely, that was a big win. I, not the greatest played game in the world, but it certainly was exciting. Now, the game you mentioned also out of Soldier Field. Uh, and, again, any fans you want to check in college football over the weekend, weekend number one, 888-463-6748. Big Dog and a coach at your service here to talk a little collegiate football. But uh, great game at Soldier Field, Dog, and the Huskies from the MAC Conference almost beat Iowa, but the Hawkeyes pulled it out. Great game. Uh, i got to say it's Kirk Ferenc. Why did he let Mike Martz take over the, the offensive play calling for <laughs> Iowa? <laughs> Iowa's quarterback would drop back seven yards, and someone from northern Illinois would come unblocked, pick up the quarterback from Iowa with Vanderberg, and then drop him right on his freaking head. Uh, uh, I, I, seriously, was joking, I know they're playing at Soldier Field, and Mike Martz needs a job, but did, did they really need him that bad? That, who would have thought that northern Illinois' defensive line would absolutely manhandle Iowa's historically great, not historically good, historically great offensive line like that. That was, that was, I, coach, I love watching quarterbacks get beat up. It was awfully fun watching the Huskies beat up on Iowa's quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't awfully fun watching them lose the game in the final couple of minutes of the game, but they were not able to hold on. Iowa won the game, and it was Vanderberg, the quarterback, who uh, came through in the final drive, right? Yeah, was it, they won 18 Yep. Is that the final? Yep. Yeah, that yep. was ugly. Yep. Northern Illinois could not uh, come back. They got, uh, you know, they've had that quarterback Chandler Harness for a couple of years, and Jordan Lynch, kid out of Mount Carmel, is their new quarterback now. He runs very well, but as a quarterback, he's still got to work on his passing. But great game, and I was surprised at the crowd. At Soldier Field, the Iowa Hawkeye fans, big dog, turning out in huge numbers in Chicago. Uh, by the way, I just want to let you know, I was, I was riding my bike to work that day, still expecting to do work. And I see a bunch of Iowa fans, like, waiting across Canal Street. And mm-hmm. I stop, and I yell, Go Huskies! <laughs> and this girl looks at me, she's like, You're an idiot, we're the Hawkeyes. And then I stopped, I'm like, You're playing the frickin' Huskies, you <laughs> And everybody was like, Huh? And even though I, like, stopped and turned and tucked back, back to this girl on my bike. There was Iowa fans everywhere, yep. which I almost got killed on the way there. They don't know how to drive. <laughs> they don't know how to cross streets. They were it was it was ten o'clock in the morning and they were stumbling, bumbling, drunk. It was un <laughs> Iowa fans drink, coach. They and they travel well, is all I can yes, say. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I was down in the South Loop Uh-oh. at at Barrett State and Balbo and they were 
everywhere Friday night. Everywhere. Were you at George's? What's you were that? at George's, weren't you? South Loop Club. Oh, right. Uh, that's Kitty Corner from George's. So yeah. who's, uh, oh, my By the way, the South Loop Club, if you eat their food at 8 o'clock at night, you'd be like, it's okay. i tell you something, Coach. You eat the same exact food at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, this is the best food I've ever had in my freaking life. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that happens. Yeah, I, it is. The same exact food. I've never been to that place. A, you should have waited at George's and you'd have some one of the prostitutes hit on you, David. It's pretty <laughs> cool. There's some gorgeous girl come up to you. Hey, what are you doing for the next hour? Nothing. It'll only be $200. Oh, excuse me. I'm busy. <laughs> so, Sounds like a heck of an intersection. Where The South Loop Club. Where where the heck is that? State and uh, Balbo. State and, and, and Balbo. And, Coach, what you can do is you can go get some Harold's Chicken right over there. I'm sorry. That's a nice little hopping area over there. State right by Columbia College. In Balbo, mm-hmm. Columbia College. How far from McCormick Place is that? Just north of it. About yeah, it's just, it's north. Just, yeah, just north of the museum campus. It's right there. You know where the big uh, Hilton is? Okay. That, that's the same area. Yeah, the massive, massive Hilton, which can uh, hold, I think it's like 1,700 rooms. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, it, is it, that walking yeah. distance from Soldier Field? Yeah. Yes. Right yeah. there. Okay. It's in the hood. That bar is like, you know, after Bears game, forget getting into that place. It's just like it's wall-to-wall. Interesting. All right. I, you know you know me, a sheltered suburbanite, Big Dog. I'm trying to become uh, more city as and find some of the hot spots that you uh Single and out and about gentlemen are, although David is not single. Oh, no, 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 no it's, by, it's by no means it's a hot spot. It's a dive. It's an absolute yeah. complete dive. Ah, okay. So is Don't... Georgia. So is Georgia. Yeah. That's the dive, too. But those are like two renowned places in the South Loop, the only places you can go drink. If, if well, well, no, no, let me just stop because I don't want anybody like thinking <laughs> I'm a racist if I say anything more. All right. Any Hawkeye fans, by the way, you'd like to take a shot at the big dog, feel free to do so. We'll put you right at the front of the front. Uh, the phone bank, 888-463-6748. Tough loss uh, for Northern, but a big win for Iowa. Other games you watch, Big Dog. How about late at night or uh, later at night, Michigan in Alabama? Did you catch that marquee match? Yeah, yeah, you know what? I, I, I really knew the whole uh, Nick Saban can game plan for a team for six months. In there, But I was like, you know what? You put it, the fastest player in college football quarterback, maybe they'll have make it a game. Michigan play, comes out of the, of the season ready to play. One of the top teams in the country, you know, blah, blah, all that stuff. And, oh my goodness, it was thirty-one nothing when the game was at seventeen nothing. I honestly was like, Michigan has no chance of winning this game. And the next thing I know, I blinked and it was thirty-one nothing. What was the final of that, Coach? I eventually had to go and uh, and get stuff done, but that that's about as bad of an ass whooping as you can get in college football mm. week one. For a Michigan team that many thought maybe uh, one of the tops in the Big Ten this year, they they got two number one votes. By the way, I don't know who gave them the number one. Maybe it was Ohio State and Michigan State just to make their life a little tougher. Urban Meyer and Mark D'Antonio, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they got two number one votes going into Week One, and within the middle of the second quarter, their national title hopes had been destroyed. Mm-hmm. No truth to the rumor, by the way. Jerry Sandusky does not still have his vote, is that correct? Uh, he never had one, Coach. Ah. Never had one. Okay. I thought maybe. Uh, I thought... Those uniforms together on the field just looked awesome, by the way. I just thought I'd say that. That was the best thing for Michigan, is that it was a cool, just to see Alabama and Michigan playing each other, it was just really, really cool. I'm going to tip my hat to Michigan, not being afraid and stepping up against right mm-hmm. now the best college football program in in the country, mm-hmm. but my God, you have to show up. 
you know, it, hey, it's, it's awful cool that I'd be willing to fight the toughest guy in the street, but if you end up with a fractured skull and a, a dislocated nose, does it really matter? <laughs> you get one point for bravery, but uh, you get zero points for production and execution. Yeah. Yeah, well, execution, yeah, the only execution was their own. Hey, uh, three games to talk about here. Quick little news and notes, titillating tidbits and a couple of games. One, Penn State uh, did lose the sentimental favorites at home to Ohio. You got a credit for Ohio for coming in and getting rid of all the sentiment and the fans and everything and going about their business and executing a come-from-behind victory. But uh, Big Dog, unless my numbers you are correct. What was sad about the Penn State game, Coach? What's there was 20,000 empty seats. Well, I was going to say, I thought the attendance was listed at 93,000. Yeah, which means that there were 18,000 oh. empty seats. So the stadium holds that much? Yeah, it wow. holds uh, 111,000. So right. that was the first time there were empty seats at a Penn State game. Wow. All right. The 1960s. Well, you're you're looking at it from a negative standpoint. I was like, I I'm was not like, looking at it negative because 93,000 people yes. went to uh, a game. Yep. But I'm just saying, just let you know that that was the first time there's been empty seats there since the 1960s, Coach. Wow. Back then, the stadium only used to be about 60,000 people, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they had to keep on adding and adding and adding because everybody wanted to be part of the, the Happy Valley family. How strict. Is, how strict is security going to be on what some of the signage is going to be from uh, at the Penn State games this year? Uh, that's uh, after they made a big deal out of uh, the whole Sweet Caroline thing. They're probably making a big deal out of saying we make mm-hmm. sure nothing insensitive is being put up. I, I would bet you really, really strong. And, and sadly, Penn State's going to make a big deal out of how strong they are and how tough they're being on, on the signs going in mm-hmm. instead of just worrying about keeping healthy signs out. I'd imagine the uh, TV cameras, TV directors uh, have been told also to make sure they don't, you know, put any inappropriate ones, which I would imagine there's at least a few of them out there. Oh, definitely. Okay. Or so. T-shirts and stuff. And, you know, I've seen pictures in college games where they go to the front row of a ruckus college fans and, you know, there's 15 people putting their number one sign yep. up. And then all of a sudden, somebody just like bows back, and you see what the shirt says, and it says like, you know, F Nick Saban. You know, they're like, oh, we just put F bomb right on the right on ABC television. You know, I mean, it happens all the time at college games, coach. I could have sworn and, I saw a guy wearing a Penn State jersey with Richard Mufuka on the back. Yeah, Rich Mufuka. Rich you Mufuka. Know, uh, yeah. You know, that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually good. It's actually a man's name. But if you put something <laughs> disgusting about Penn State yeah. on a sign or or a shirt, it says a lot more about you than it does about Penn State at this mm-hmm. point. Okay, good, good unless point. you're one of the victims. Okay, unless you're one of the victims that thought you'd been done wrong, and obviously none of them are going to do that, Coach. You know what I'm if you know what I'm saying. If you weren't directly uh, attacked or whatever, there's no reason for you to bring up anything about Penn State in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I That's completely agree. Opinion. Completely agree. It would have been nice to see him come out with a victory, but uh, unfortunately, that happy ending was not written. And again, credit to Frankie Solich and the Ohio Bobcats. They came into a tough environment, pulled out a victory. Now, big dog, did I see the score correct? Oklahoma State eighty-four, Savannah State zero. That that looks about right because I, wow. I'm not kidding. It was like fifty-six to nothing before halftime. Eighty. So 
Four, right. they, and then I looked at the, they were, they were favored by 67. And I love this, by the way, 67.5 points. Have you ever seen a point spread that high? And don't you love it when you're at 67 and they go 67.5? Uh, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that, <laughs> at that point, you really need that hook. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand why there's a, why there's a point spread on a non-division one football game. Is that the biggest you, you've followed point spreads, uh, off and on, uh, and, and lately it's been a little bit more off than on, but throughout your spec football spectating career, is that the largest point spread you've ever seen? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, just for the simple fact is that that's not in a Division One versus Division One. That is not FBS versus FBS. That's FBS versus FCS, and they're not even supposed to have lines on that game. And if you would have asked me what the line was, I would have said around 60. I really would have, because Oklahoma State is renowned for Keep on running the score up and running the score up and running the score up. Okay. Kind of like, kind of like Oregon. Mm-hmm. You know, Oregon is you know up fifty to fifty-one nothing in the fourth quarter, and they're still running the fast break offense. That's why. That's why mm-hmm. you see Oregon spreads that make no sense either. You know what I mean? Just like Arkansas State's going to end up being a ten-point underdog to a real good team next week, mm-hmm. not thirty-seven. And the only reason is because you know, they run the fast break. Is the best way I want to tell you. And and Oklahoma State is supposedly loaded this year, but we'll see. We'll see. Boy, got to be tough if you're a Savannah State fan. You know, you're getting 67 points. There had to be some Savannah State gamblers out there who said, "The hell with this! Come on, we're getting 67 points. I got to put my money." In. And you can't cover at 67, and they even gave you the point five, and you still can't cover. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's bad. All right, how about Eureka? Division three football here, Division one AA. Not positive which one it is, but Eureka, 62. Knox College out of Quincy, Illinois, 55. Big dog in a record-setting day for quarterback Sam Durley. Did you follow that one? Did you say 62-65? 55. 62-55. Oh, very good. Now, Cole College isn't in Quincy, Coach. Knox College. Knox. Knox College is not in Oh, it's in Galesburg. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they used to be a joke of a program, but they, they got things, uh, situated now. How many yards did the quarterback throw for? All time NCAA record. All time. 736 yards. The kid had no idea. They told him after the game, you just set an NCAA record. 736 yards, five touchdowns. They, you know whose record he broke? Hmm. Don't. Quarterback from which college? I don't know. Mac. Murray College, where I went to school and played football. Really? And I'm so glad he broke it. I'm so glad he broke it, Coach, because uh, McMurray lost the game that the guy threw for 720-something yards. Oh, boy. They lost it like, I'm not kidding you, they lost it like uh, like 78-34. to 34. <laughs> And oh. the kid who's the kid from McMurray that set the all-time NCAA record for passing yardage threw like six interceptions returned for touchdowns. So, you know, like, you go right down the field and you get 50 yards passing and then you throw an interception and the guy returns it and you get right back on the field and you throw for 60 yards passing. Like, there's an interception, the guy returns it for And then the defense is never on the field. Mm-hmm. That's why he set the record for most passing yards in the game. So, it was the, the Eureka kid won. Uh, to, to have the all-time passing record and to know you gave up, like, five or six interception returns for touchdowns, mm-hmm. after a while you're like, yeah, I'm the all-time game leader. Don't look at the whole... Uh, line though, 
Oh, how much did you win by? Oh, we lost by 40. But you set the record <laughs> for most yards in a game, and uh, you lost by in a I was going to say, before you brought up the interceptions, I was going to say the defensive coordinator probably didn't feel very good. Your your quarterback sets an all-time record, and you still can't find a way to stop the other team, but uh, it sounds like the quarterback aided the other team's offense a little bit. Yeah, the best thing I can tell you is uh, McMurray football was horrible before I got there. Uh, we had the most wins ever in the history of the program while I was there, the greatest four-year period ever in the history of McMurray College. There you go. The four years that I played there, Coach. That's no joke. Make the play. You know what they say, David Wilson. Whatever organization you join, make the place better by the time you leave. That was our goal here at thetalkzone.com, Big Doug. We wanted to make the place better before we move on. I'm not sure we've achieved that. Ratings might say differently, but that was at least that was our stated goal. Uh, by the way, Coach, I emptied the garbage once when I was there. And <laughs> and I, I used to leave. It's better than what it was when we got there, Coach. I promise you, Wooden would be happy. Coach right. Wooden would definitely be happy. Yeah. We've got assistant uh, producer Randy Myers is coming out of his shell. So I think, uh, you know, we've achieved that. And they, and they hired a new full-time person, probably just to keep an eye on us. But uh, the staff is increasing here, Big Doe. So we, we our footprint... It may have, uh, you know, we may have stepped in a few things along the way, but our footprint has been felt here at the talk zone. Uh, Coach, here's what McMurray College has turned into. They're the only NCAA football program where you can go buy a beer and still watch the game. I thought that was not allowed. Well, just to let you know, McMurray College, which is the Highlanders, and they play in the bottom of, of of a pit in a valley. Well, there's a hill next to the football stadium. They put a beer garden on it, and now you can go into the beer garden, drink, and from the hill look into the stadium and buy a sanctioned NCAA beer and still watch the football game. And the stadium isn't that big where if you're on the hill, you're probably closer to the action than you would be if you were midway up of, a, of a Alabama or uh, Michigan or, or Penn State game where 100,000 people crowd into those mm-hmm. stadiums. I'm not kidding you. So, Believe it or not, you can get an you can get a sanctioned, licensed beer and still watch a uh, McMurray College football and game. No, and, no. And by the way, you need it because what I, they go one and nine and zero oh and ten now. It's pathetic. <laughs> it's pathetic. Legitimately, you should have heard me screaming at their their head coach the last time I went to a McMurray game. Yeah. I was screaming at their head coach, and uh, I, I again I don't want to say this, but I, if I say this, I'll, I'll, things will be misconstrued about me. But all I got to tell you is the guy needs to realize there's more than one color of athlete in the world is the best way I can tell you. Gotcha. The guys are racist is the best way. Gotcha. We have a one-color football team. Yep. Well, we're hoping down the road. I know you've had many career aspirations, but the possibility of you, sports talk host slash kayak tour extraordinaire, but the longtime uh, football fan and ex-college football player, Mac Murray, that, uh, you know, maybe. Maybe you could uh, step in and take over the coaching reins, at least as an assistant coach at your beloved uh, institution. You know what? I, I uh, a few years ago, Barry Creveson tried to get the the job at McMurray College, who mm-hmm. was the, the quarterback at McMurray. He was the all time winningest quarterback ever in the history of the school. I can go on and on, and they didn't hire him. They hired this guy instead. Well, now Barry Creveson is the head football coach at Johnsburg, and they keep on putting player after player into the Big Ten. They go far into the playoffs, and he's an extremely happy man. If they wouldn't hire. Barry Creveston as their head coach, they're not going to hire Joel Rodwanski as their head coach. How about that is the best way I could put it. Okay, but if Barry Creveston makes the move, 
scintillating football talk here on the TalkZone.com. But if Barry Creveson makes the move to McMurray College, is there a possibility that radio sports talk host extraordinaire Big Dog Redwanski might be a member of the staff? Yeah, he's already offered me the job of assistant tight ends coach, and I'd be, <laughs> I would be also a head of quality control. Oh, boy. Assistant tight ends coach, huh? Mm-hmm. How many tight ends did I have? Uh, believe it or not, when I was there at McMurray, this is no joke, there was six tight ends. I had five backups. And this is, I swear to go to, I'm not just trying to pat myself on my own back. And the three years I played tight end at McMurray, I played linebacker my freshman year. <laughs> My three years at McMurray, I missed one play playing tight end. I had five backups, and they got to share a total of one play between the five of them over a three-year period. That's no lie whatsoever. Can you imagine being the fifth or the sixth string tight end, and the guy you're like, the guy never comes out of the game? And then I have to worry about four other people once he does come up. I thought you were making a joke about being the assistant tight ends coach, but but – there actually could be an assistant tight ends coach. We had a hundred guys on our football program. It was I couldn't I couldn't explain this to you, coach. We'd have one hundred and fifty on August fifteenth. We'd have ninety five on September first. Like fifty five guys would quit. Yeah, I'm like, it was just un, it was ungodly how many people were on our football team and how many of them never played. And it was even worse, coach, considering that how many of them should never even had football equipment on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, 888-463-6748. Big Dog and a Coach here. The two guys at a mic show recapping Collegiate Football Week number one. Again, I'm Beat the Schmoes. David Olson, our producer, the lead schmo this weekend going undefeated at 3-0. and Highly impressive. And uh, I got off to an 0-3 start. So already, one week into the season, I'm uh, climbing the ladder and trying to get up out of the hole. And I, Big Dog, similar to last year, I'm not going to wait. I've become less patient in my later years. Another couple of weeks. And I will not wait the entire 11-12. I will fire my entire Beat the Schmo staff. I told them that on air last year, and I did. I've got a new crew this year. Uh, my leash is very short. A couple more bad weeks, and I will fire the entire staff and start over. Whatever it takes, Coach, for you to get things, the ship righted, yes. I believe, is, is what the, the terminology is. <laughs> All right. Other things that happen in the world of sports. Big deal. we got to go to the baseball front. By the way, we do got a couple of uh, – unfortunate uh, obituaries to talk about as well. But uh, we can't write an obituary, but it was not a good weekend for your Chicago White Sox. They get swept by the Detroit Tigers, all three. They did come back, beat Minnesota yesterday, so they're a game up on first. But the Tigers took them to the woodshed, my friend. Yeah, that's that's not good. We were talking about, uh, we said, you know, how, how often do you say, well, as long as they don't get swept, everything will be fine. And then they get swept, and you're like, whoa. Everything is not fine anymore. Though. I, I didn't get to see any of the series whatsoever. Uh, but you, would you, have, you pick up Francisco Liriano, there's a reason why the Twins let go of him. Why is he pitching for the White Sox coach? Well, White Sox, uh, John Danks, they're number one, really, at the start of the year. You know, he, he broke down. Gavin Floyd is broken down at this point, so... They need starting pitching, and I think it's called a gamble. They rolled the dice, and so far okay. it's mixed results. Okay. Uh, I guess I guess that's a good point. Just try to gamble. Maybe you give the guy a new, uh, like, I don't know, a new fresh start in a way, and he can pitch like he did back in 07. Mm-hmm. That was five years ago, Coach, that he was good. 
Well, it's amazing too, because I mean, he was at white. First of all, he was a White Sox killer. I mean, he was awesome against. He was awesome against everybody. He's one of the best young pitchers in baseball, and then threw out his arm, right? And he hasn't been yeah, the same he was, since. He had uh, he had the Tommy John. It was his elbow, yep. the ulnar collateral ligament. Yeah. Which uh, not everybody rebounds from. Just because half the people do doesn't mean the other half does. Yeah, well, that's why uh, and I completely agree with him, Jerry Reinsdorf, the. Owner of the Chicago White Sox has had a, for the most part, and he broke it with John Danks, but for the most part, long-standing policy with pitchers, no long-term contracts because you never know. And in uh, Francisco Liriano is Exhibit A for that particular opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you think about it, how many pitchers have left the White Sox and been on and went real, real good? I mean, Wilson Alvarez had a couple decent seasons. Jack McDowell had one decent season. Alex Fernandez had half of a good season. Mm-hmm. There's so many of these pitchers that the White Sox just let go, and then you realize, wow, that was the right decision. They only had, like, they were only decent after they left the White Sox. So yeah. Brandon McCarthy, I, I, I remember I did not want to trade him. Brandon McCarthy has had a decent career. He hasn't been a star. John Rauch, the tall kid that they let go, the 6'8 bullpen guy, he, for a couple of years, he was pretty good, but he kind of flamed out. John Garland, they got rid of him, and... Again, he was okay for a couple of years. You don't hear much of him anymore. So you're right. It's not like they've been burned by a pitcher. No. Yeah, Mark no, Burley, we'll see. But Burley's had a pretty good season for the Florida Marlins. Yeah, I don't know if Mark Burley's worth $56 million over four years anymore, though. That's a good point. You know what I mean? A yep. pretty good and 14 million season, it doesn't really, to me, add up as someone yep. that would be writing the checks for, for those guys. Yeah, so. good point. Baltimore Orioles, by the way, won again yesterday. Just want to mention them real quick. Uh, I want to move on from baseball, but the Orioles uh, beat the Yankees over the weekend, dog, two out of three. They won, I think, over Toronto yesterday. So the uh, Orioles are within a couple of games of the New York Yankees, a team we thought might fade. They're not going away. They appear to be for real. Yeah, and they're doing it with a bunch of number two starters. They keep on throwing out a team. They don't have anybody dominant. Yep. It's a decent pitcher every single week. and. They've got really, really good defense all over their, yeah. all over the field. So that that's what they're doing. That's Some, exactly how they're baiting people. It's a little bit like your horse racing theory. Bet on number two. Kind of. <laughs> or not. Uh, the Oakland A's. Oakland A's, I think, had nine consecutive wins. A streak got broken yesterday. The Anaheim Angels, Mike Sosa's ball club, knocked them off. But the A's have closed the gap on Texas and uh, certainly a wild card contender. And the Anaheim Angels are making one last run. Big dog, they've won seven out of eight. Here come the Angels. Yeah, and I do expect the Angels to make to make a run for the rest of the season. Finally, their whole pitching staff is healthy. Yeah, they might they and, might be too far back. Yeah, but they all they need is uh, to get into the wild card. All you need is to get that one game, and all of a sudden, Jared Weaver starting a wild card yeah. game for them, and everything looks a lot easier for them at that point. I do agree with you, but I am definitely not writing the Angels off on the September 4th right now, Coach, yep. if they're only four games out of the wild card division. Mm-hmm. Uh, the race. That's a game a week they have to make up the rest of the season. Okay. It'll be interesting. Uh, we're definitely in the stretch run right now. The dog and the coach will be following the uh, – Baseball playoff races and wild car races, no question about it, over the next three weeks in addition to the football. 888-463-6748. Our phone number here, Dog and the Coach, with you up until 11 o'clock. Big Dog, sadly, a couple, couple of obituaries, one near and dear to our heart in Chicago and one pretty far away. The far away one, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Reverend Sun Young Moon, 
he of the Moonies, passing away at the age of 92 over the weekend from South Korea. What was he famous for? Huh? What was he famous for? Well, it's a good question. (laughs) One I should probably have a better answer for, but uh, I don't know. He started some movement, and he got a lot of followers, and they became known as the Moonies. What the heck did they do, though, David Olson? You have any idea? David doesn't either. See, that's that's where we need a uh, we need some interns here to to dig up some info. I'm not sure, Big Dog, but he was a famous guy. And I think it started out as a somewhat altruistic cause, if, if and then it kind of went possibly astray. I know he had three wives. The third wife was about 30 years younger than him, so he was famous for that, if nothing else. Well, congratulations to him. Was he Korean? South Korean? I think so. The Reverend Song. Young Moon, passing away at the age of 92. (laughs) Nearer and dearer and even sadder because he was only 55 years old, actor supreme and longtime Chicago guy, Michael Clark Duncan, passing away of a sudden heart attack in uh, California yesterday. Big dog, very sad. Oh, that is sad. He's a good guy. Yep. You know what? I would never have guessed he was 55. I would have guessed he was in his early 40s. Thought, I thought it said, uh, I could be mistaken. I'm David. not saying you're wrong. I'm yeah. just saying, wow, he looked, yeah. you don't expect somebody that looked that good to die of a heart attack, even though, uh, you know, sometimes your heart works a little bit more when you're a 380-pound man. Yes. You know, when you're, you're, and he wasn't fat. Nope. He was, he was like 6'8", six, 6'10", six, and muscular. I mean, that guy was huge. Just big. Yeah, yeah big man. Yeah, now I know he had a heart attack two months ago. I thought he just ah. never recovered from okay. it. I wasn't sure if he had another heart attack okay. or not. I, 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 I don't think he ever recovered. He like had a massive, massive wow. heart attack a couple months ago. I was, I I was not even recovered. aware of that. Yeah. Huh. I, I bet his heart is like the size of a like a. Seriously, imagine how the size of Michael Clark Duncan. Probably the size of a turkey. Yeah. From what I, I heard, he had a, a, not only a big heart inside, he had a big heart on the outside too. One of the most beloved figures in uh, in Hollywood, just a great, great guy. Made his yeah, big probably his biggest film was The Green Mile, right? Which is a pretty cool. Oh, film. without a doubt, he yeah. played a bunch. He got paid a bunch of other like a much more money to be in like a bunch of other action movies and stuff because yeah. he was so big. But there's no doubt, Green Mile will always be his consummate role because yeah. it, so to watch that massive, huge man play such a sensitive, like caring role was mm-hmm. amazing. Amazing. Yep. Well, Oscar-nominated Oscar for that role. And he always said, even though he didn't win the Oscar, the fact and he started out his career as a bodyguard. He wanted to be an actor, but he was a bodyguard for some of the big stars and got discovered, got some bit parts, and he finally made it big, and he thought getting that Oscar nomination was validation that he uh, actually became a star. I was hoping they would give him a movie where he'd you know, have like a romance or a love affair with you know, like a Nadia Comaneci or an Olga Kor, but find like the smallest girl out there. I thought that may, would have made for a great romance movie, Big Dog. Uh, yeah, that, that movie was called King Kong, Coach. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Uh, other news and notes. Pretty good golf tournament over the weekend, dog. I know we were all saturated in college football the Labor Day weekend, but the Deutsche Bank Invitational from Norton, Massachusetts, actually one of the better tournaments of the year, and uh, the new guy in golf, Rory McIlroy, he's number one. He is He's the it factor now. Uh, he held, holds on to win over Peter Oosterhausen in a very exciting finish. Tiger Woods was in the hunt. 
And it must have been incredible because I saw Summer Oosterhausen hit something like eight birdies and nine holes. He made up like he went negative eight in like one half of a round or something yeah. like that. It was just amazing the run that he put on McElroy and forced McElroy to really make some shots while he was cruising to a victory. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, 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 I got to. Gonna hit a couple birdies all of a sudden. I'm not gonna yeah. cruise to this win. Yeah, they were so. they were lighting up the birdies over the weekend, and Oosterhausen had the lead to start the day, and he fell apart early. And then about an 11th or 12th hole, he caught fire, made the stretch run. McElroy, I think, missed a something like a 25 foot putt that would have won it for him, and he had to wait. All Oosterhausen had to do was hit a 12 foot putt to send it into overtime, and he missed it by maybe a couple of inches. McElroy wins the tournament. Great stuff. Great stuff. How about U.S. Open? You catch any U.S. Open tennis? I have not, Coach. Disappointing. You're you are supposed to be our U.S. Open consultant and expert. I was supposed to be. I didn't say I was. <laughs> Who announced his retirement? That was the big story. Andy Roddick? Yeah, Andy Roddick retired. I, uh-huh. which is, which is, it was nice to know that he announced his retirement because at least I knew he was still playing tennis. Yeah, and actually, he's still in it, right? Is he still in it? Yeah. He announces retirement. He's been slumping of late, and he keeps winning. So I think he's in the round of 16, might even be in the quarterfinals, but at the very least, he's in the, I think he's actually in the quarterfinals, but at the, at the worst, round of 16. So Andy Roddick going to go out with a, a flurry, apparently, but. US yeah, well, they're going yeah, to play the finals when the Falcons are taking on the Panthers. Like, anybody's going to watch the finals of the U.S. Open with that Titanic of a matchup <laughs> in the uh, NFL. And I'm, I'm being serious. I'm the the sure. worst matchup in the NFL is more interesting than the finals of a tennis. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I agree with you. Not you sure. Might not, you might not, Coach. You yeah. might not. But okay. 85% of the America's television yeah. viewing public will. i gotta, I got to be honest with you. One week before the start of the season, i, I got to – my romance with the National Football League, including the Bears, is uh, it's a marriage, and we're still married, Big Dome, but things are getting old. If things don't get spiced up soon, either officially or unofficially, this marriage could be over with the National you know, Football you, League. you got to stop saying stupid stuff, because a week ago you you said the line, the U.S. Open just doesn't do it for me anymore. Doesn't do it. I don't, does anybody care? And then well, now a week later you just said, I'd rather watch the U.S. Open than the NFL. No, well, NFL doesn't do it for me. Don't right. forget it. Don't, don't forget during the NBA Finals, you were like, yeah, the NBA Finals. Don't really, it's not the same. During the World Series this year, you were like, you know, it's just not the same. It, no, it's the World Series. This isn't like what it used to be. You know what? Maybe we can magically go back to 1964, Coach, for you and make everything all nice mm-hmm. and happy and, and lollygag. All right. Crit- criticism well taken, and you're right. I said that about the U.S. Open. Tennis, on the other hand, while it's still... Not in my top five sports. The little bit I do watch it, it's actually it's climbing up the ladder. It might have been number eighteen in my uh, most interested spectator sports. It's moving up the ladder a little bit. I got to admit, the little bit I've watched tennis of late, and I'm not specifically speaking U.S. Open. I'm enjoying it uh, more and more. It hasn't passed up NFL football yet, Big Dog. But if we're on the air five more years, you and me might even have a more sordid discussion. I, I, I might like to play a little tennis with somebody. I played yesterday. How'd you do? Actually won. Actually what won. What was the name of the girl you beat? <laughs> I won't tell you. And I won't tell you how old she was either. Okay, that's good. Yeah, thank you very much. 78. Her name was Minnie. <laughs> right. Eleanor. All right.
but uh, speaking, speaking I, now, I didn't say the love affair is over. It's just diminishing, and I still got a little little bit of passion for the heart for the Chicago Bears, and they do open up against the Indianapolis Colts. The news with the Bears, Big Dog, over the weekend won. Brian Urlacher appears like he's going to be back in practice and at least give it a shot. And two, help us out now. They picked up Tampa Bay's uh, lineman, uh, Amobi Okoye. yes. Yeah, what kind of player is he? Uh, you should be able to remember him because last year when he was on the Chicago Bears, uh, he had four sacks. He's a man-child. He's incredible. The only problem is he has horrible knee issues. And the guy is a three-technique tackle. He's a pass rush tackle. And uh, even though he's been in the NFL for like eight years, he's only like 25 because he made the NFL. He went. To, uh, he was the guy who was starting at Louisville at the age of 15, and he graduated in three years, and he was drafted in the NFL at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. The guy's a freaking man-child. The only problem is he's got no knees. So hopefully the Bears have to sign the guy and, and hope they get something on him because right now Stephen uh, – uh, Piea has a bad ankle. They got other guys with bad knees, bad backs. They have no healthy defensive tackles. And since he knows the Bears' scheme, they gave him a shot and basically gave him a roster spot. And they, they, you need defensive linemen in the NFL in order to win. So no matter how great your team is, if your defensive line sucks, your team sucks. So mm-hmm. with their whole D-line banged up, the only healthy defensive tackle is Henry Melton, and he's a pass-rush tackle. That's, they had to pick him up, Coach. So Hopefully, here's, here's what Obobeyakoy is. Hopefully a guy that can deal with his knee pain and realizes that he only has so many shots, shots anymore to play in the NFL. So if this opportunity he has with the Bears, he better take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's the guy Obobeyakoy is. Must have some confidence in him because they gave up on the other guy they traded for, Brian Price. And uh, I think they, unless somebody picks him up, they're in for $500,000 for this kid. And they traded a seventh-round pick. So that's an indication that maybe uh, Okoye played a little bit better than they thought he would coming into camp. Well, well, last I don't know about playing any better than they thought he would because the Buccaneers just traded him because they said he didn't play hard at all during camp, and that was the issue. The Bears traded for him because last season, as a Chicago Bear, Willie Okoye was awesome as a Bear, and they let go of him. Mm-hmm. So they traded back for him be- and the Buccaneers had no problem getting rid of him because he said he didn't even work this offseason. Greg Schiano was like, you have to earn it in the NFL to make it on my team. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, so he was a bear coach. You don't remember this guy. Okay. Last year you said, right? Well, you like just like you said, your love of the bear is waning, and I just, that's, that's proof of it because. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to get our first look at uh, everybody's going to get their first look live and in person in regular season style of uh, Stanford quarterback Andrew Luck. He'll make his NFL Debut against our beloved Bear. What do you expect to see from A-Luck? Uh, I, I expect Lovey Smith to show as many different looks as possible to uh, Andrew Luck to try to confuse him. And what I'm really hoping is we don't have to see blitz after blitz after blitz because the Bears' defensive line is actually getting to Luck without blitzing mm-hmm. because the Bears' secondary is an average secondary and if you put them on islands consistently, they will be burnt. So, okay. uh, like, well, you're asking me what I expect out of the play calling. I, I, I'm really, I just hope the D line and steps up, and and I think it will. And I, I think like during the preseason, they haven't played all that great because it's preseason. There's a lot of veterans on the ends, and hopefully, when game one starts, Julius Peppers goes back to being the Julius Peppers he was the previous two mm-hmm. season, which yeah. was 
We'll definitely uh, forcing two people blocking him on every single play. Definitely talk a lot of Bears Indianapolis as the week wears on here. Big Dog, in closing, before we let you go, uh, I will annoy you slash remind you that the Democratic National Convention starts tonight. Michelle Obama, one of the featured speakers, but uh, one of the greatest three days in all of sports, begins tonight in Charlotte, North Carolina. When do the Cowboys play the Giants? Uh, I think Wednesday, tomorrow. Okay, because I, I was getting all confused because they're like they wouldn't play him on Thursday because that was a uh, Democratic National Convention, but they're playing Wednesday hey. when there's still the Democratic National if Convention. It's, you know if it's Joe Biden talking, if it's my guy Joe versus uh, Giants and Cowboys, I'm going Biden. Sorry. Oh my goodness, that's so, that's. Uh, David is shaking his head. No, I believe it's Bill Clinton speaking tomorrow. Well, and then uh, Biden and Obama are both on Thursday. Yeah. Bill Clinton has become like. The grand wizard. Everybody loves Bill Clinton. It's amazing. When you're out of office, big dog, people forget all the negatives. And Bill Clinton, he's he's the guy now. Everybody loves him, even the Repubs. Well, no, you got you to gotta look at people like when they're in office. Bill Clinton was the most laissez-faire. Uh, uh, he didn't, he, he wasn't about, oh, let's pass new laws and let's tax people. He wasn't, I have no problem with Bill Clinton now that I look yeah. back at it because the best way I can look at it is uh, George Bush handed out more welfare than, than Bill Clinton did. By the way, speaking you of George about, Bush. Think about, if you look at what they just handed to people, I'm not a poor, rich. George Bush was like, right. here's a trillion dollars, rich people. Go away with it. Go yeah. go, go, ahead, go have it. Go have it. And yeah. then call himself a Reaganomic guy. Right. Oh, my God. I would like All to right. punch George Bush. We, we got to wrap it up. I'll just say George Bush was uh, not only not seen, not even mentioned at the Republican convention. All right, dog. We'll talk uh, sports. Hopefully no more obituaries tomorrow to talk about convention information, all kinds of stuff tomorrow. Be good, and I'm assuming you'll be on the river today, right? I got the only day off I have for the next, like, five weeks. Ah, beautiful. Enjoy the day off, though. I'm going to go work out. Ah, thanks for listening, everybody. Two guys at a mic, talkzone.com. See you tomorrow at 10. Don't be late.